0: Morning. morning. Is all authority bad? (laughs) It's an interesting question. Is all authority bad? That being government structures, being authority figures, um, we live in a world and a culture that has answered that question with a resounding yes. All authority is bad. So for anyone to tell anyone else what to do is a bad thing because who are they to tell you what to do? Again, all authority is bad. This is the air that we breathe. This is the culture uh, in which we live that wants you to believe and enforces through, um, through song, through television, through books, through uh, just the general atmosphere of the culture, enforces to us that all authority is bad. Even when it comes to matters of sexuality, again, who are you to tell anyone else what they do with their body? That is their body. Therefore, it is their choice to make. Again, this this is the idea that no one should tell anyone else to do because all authority is bad. After all, it's their body. Let them make their own choice. And to even suggest that someone um, do this or do that Uh, becomes now today the mortal sin. You you are labeled a a bigot, a homophobe, a xenophobe to even suggest that someone do something uh, specifically with their body. I mean, again, this is the centerpiece or one of the major staples of the pro-choice movement. To, to believe that anyone can tell anyone else what to do with their body, I mean, that's right. I mean, no way you don't get to make that choice. It's that woman's choice to terminate the life of another human being. You see, what is underneath that line of reasoning is that all authority is bad. This idea has even crept into our retail stores, So um, if you go into retail stores, you will see more and more that we are removing any type of gender-specific departments. So no longer is there the giant um, pink uh, and, and fluffy section that is the girl's toy section, right? You go down there and like the whole aisle is pink. There's pink Barbie cars and pink houses and right, you go two aisles over and it's all black, gray, and camo. There's, there's the Nerf gun that's, that's camo, there's, you know, and, and this is labeled the girls' toy section, this is labeled the boys' toy section. Well, many department stores uh, are, are seeking to remove those gender-specific uh, departments. They're also doing this with clothes, moving, removing, this is the boys' clo- clothes department and this is the girls' clothes department. They're removing um, those gender distinctions. Why? Well, because this is an outcry from the public to do so. Why? Well, because the culture is saying, who are we to tell our children what gender they are? We don't want to enforce that on them or insist that they, if they are born a boy, stay and act like a boy. If they are born a girl, we're not going to force that on them that this is what gender they must be. Let them decide for themselves. Again, what's behind that? What's behind that is the idea all authority is bad. So this is the world in which we live. This is the, the air in which we breathe, that, that we're constantly being told and it's constantly being reinforced to us that all authority is bad, There's a general sense in the world in which we live that my life is mine and no one can tell me what to do with it or where to go. My money belongs to me. My time belongs to me. My talent belongs to me. I am the master of my own destiny and no one anywhere gets to tell me what to do. Now, at the end of the day, who even has the right to tell anyone else what to do? This is all under the umbrella of all authority is bad. Now, the reality is we know that we live in a world that needs authority, okay? So we don't like authority, we don't think anyone should have the authority to tell us what to do, but we live in a world to where we know we need authority uh, because in a world without authority, there is chaos. Um, weak people suffer children suffer the disabled suffer um, in that type of system and so we know that there needs to be rules there needs to be some type of authority um, in place we don't like authority we think there shouldn't be any we know we need authority and so friends this is why everyone is freaking out about this election okay because we're really, really concerned over who is going to have the authority. We don't like authority. We don't think anyone should tell anyone else what to do, but we know we need it. And so let's be really, really careful about who we put in place. If you're taking notes, go ahead and and jot this down. Authority determines direction. Whatever your authority is determines where you go. Whatever your authority is determines what you do. Whatever your authority is determines what you become. Your authority, whatever authority is in place over your life determines your direction. So let me ask you this morning, what is the ultimate authority in your life? Who is in charge of you? Well, most people would answer it this way. I am in charge of me. Okay, so who is your ultimate authority? What is your ultimate authority? Well, I am. I am my own ultimate authority. I am in charge of me. I decide what I do. I decide where I go. I decide what I say. Essentially, my feelings and my experiences rule my life. What I feel about certain things, um, what I've experienced in my past, I make my decisions about what I do and who I will become based off of my past experiences and my past feelings. So I am my own ultimate authority. I determine my own direction. Now, let me explain why that is a terrible authority to have in your life. Because no one has lied to you more than you. No one has taken you down the wrong path more than you. No one has misled you more than you. No one has caused you more pain in your life than you. And so you become your worst ultimate authority. Okay, well, what about this? Uh, let's, let's move that off of the, the, the table, okay? So I'm not gonna be ruled by my own feelings and my own personal happiness, okay? I realize that's got me in the trouble in the past. Let's appeal to something more concrete. Um, let's let science and reason, okay, Science and reason will be my ultimate authority. Well, here's the problem with that. Uh, science once said that the earth was flat. All the scientists agreed the earth is flat. And not only is the earth flat, the earth is the center of our solar system. So science is fallible. Reason is fallible. There, there are many philosophers who reason that, that, that there is nothing. And so therefore there's no good reason to live. Okay, so so science is fallible, philosophy is fallible, and so those become very terrible uh, things to place in ultimate authority over your life. Well, what about government and society? Let government and society be your ultimate authority. Well, again, friends, take a close look at history. Society and governments have been the cause of the greatest atrocities in all of humanity. So again, I appeal to you, all of those are terrible, terrible things to place the ultimate authority of your life. So let's answer the question. We we all know the answer to the question, don't we? I mean, we're in church this morning. Amen. The the easy answer. We this. I mean, the kids in 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 gospel kids in the back know the answer to this one. But we're just gonna, we're just going to just going to going to go be the ultimate authority in our life. Jesus, right, God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So if you're taking notes, jot this down. Authority determines direction, so bow the knee to Jesus because he gives us purpose and restores the broken. This is what Jesus does. He, he gives us purpose in our life, and he restores the broken. And it's someone like that who should have authority over our lives. So, so when I say bow the knee, Here is is what I mean. I mean, accept the demands of Jesus. You see, being a disciple is about accepting the demands from Jesus. Jesus places demands on your life. He says, this is the way I want you to live. And the Christian says, yes, I will do that. I will accept the demands that Jesus is placing on my life, even though sometimes I don't feel like doing it even though sometimes it's a beautiful fall morning and you want to sleep in, even though sometimes I feel like I'm going to sacrifice my own happiness if I follow Jesus, if I obey Jesus, even though sometimes it doesn't even seem to make sense to follow Jesus, I'm going to do what he says because he's the ultimate authority in my life. That's what it means to bow the knee to Jesus. So here's what I'm saying I'm saying it's impossible to be a Christian and be under your own authority. It's impossible to be a Christian and be under your own authority. You can't do it, it's impossible. Jesus says, I am to be the ultimate authority in your life. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 6.20 says this, for you were bought with a price. You were bought with a price, church family. The, the price that, that was paid by Jesus Christ as, as he lived the perfect life, as, as he bled, as they beat him, as they punched him, as, as he walked that road carrying the cross on his back, as they nailed the nails into his hands and into his feet, as blood ran down his face and down his whole body, as he shook, as he died, that was the price. That was the price that was paid for you. You were bought with the price. Listen to how the Apostle Paul concludes this. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body with your whole self because he gave his whole self over to you through his death on the cross. We are to give our whole selves over to him through living under his authority, doing what he says, So we find ourselves traveling through the book of Mark. Um, Things have come to us in a very fast-paced order, haven't they? We, We met John the baptizer. As soon as we meet John the baptizer, boom, there's Jesus in the water. Jesus is baptized, he comes up out of the water, the, the heavens open up, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And, and as soon as he's out of the river, it's, it's almost like he is sent out into the wilderness before his hair is even dry. And there he is in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. He conquers the temptation. He steps onto the stage and proclaims, repent and believe the good news of the gospel. And just as soon as that great proclamation is made, boom, we're on to this very next scene that we find ourselves in along a sea in a place called Galilee. Verse 16, passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men, Here we meet two characters, Simon and Andrew. This is Simon Peter. This is Peter who, who was essentially the leader of the disciples. This is Peter who, um, in that great scene where he pulls out his sword and chops off a guy's ear in defense of Jesus. This is Peter who rebuked Jesus when Jesus insisted that he must go to the cross. This is Simon Peter, the Peter who denied Jesus three times. And this is the same Peter who's, who was restored back to Jesus by Jesus and his brother. They are there uh, as, as a brother partnership in a fishing business along the Sea of Galilee. Now, they were fishermen. Now, I fancy myself a fisherman. I, I enjoy bass fishing. Um, it, it is a, a leisurely thing for me to do. But but um, listen, this is not leisurely bass fishing or trout fishing. Okay, they're not whistling along, you know, with their cute little fishing poles. That this is not what's happening here. Okay, so so don't think leisurely fishing. You need to think deadliest catch. That's what these guys are doing. These are hardened men. These are men who drag big giant nets out in boats across a sea that is often rough. This is hard work, this is dangerous work. And here these men are along this sea and they're casting their nets into the sea. Now, these men were fishermen uh, they had to be intelligent because um, there was a high demand for fish in this area. Most people in that day in that area ate fish, not red meat or you know other types of meat. They mainly ate fish. And these men uh, apparently have a very successful business. We learned that they have hired servants. Uh, we learned that they have a couple of boats. So these are intelligent businessmen. Uh, they, they have a large business, uh, and they, they know what they're doing because they're competing in a competitive market. So Jesus approaches them, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and Andrew. We know who they are now, the brother of Simon casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me. You must understand, Jesus is telling them, not asking them hey, would you guys like to go follow me? Hey, I've got this really neat idea. Why don't you follow me? Look at the text. And Jesus said to them, follow me. Imperative, a command. He is authoritatively telling them what to do. Jesus is telling, not asking these successful, intelligent businessmen to walk away from their families and everything they have built. This is not a small request. We must now ask the question, what gives him the right? How can Jesus walk up on these men who have devoted their lives to building a successful business that provides for their families and Jesus walks up on these men and says, follow me, stop what you're doing. I am making an authoritative command on you. Bow the knee and obey What's interesting and strange about this command, this imperative call that Jesus gives them is this. Rabbis in those days did not tell people to follow them. Rabbis in those days would establish their, uh, their reputation. They would set up their own little schools and then people would come to them. The rabbis did not go to the people and say, hey, follow me. The people came to the rabbi and said, can we please follow you? So Jesus is breaking from rabbinic tradition here by commanding these men to follow him. It's also breaking from rabbinic tradition in this way, that he is telling them to follow him. You see, rabbis in those days would say, "Um, you you should follow my teaching. Or when people would come and say, hey, we would like to follow you, meaning we want to follow what you teach about the Torah. It wasn't we are following you personally as an individual. What Jesus, the command that he's making here, he is commanding them to follow him personally as an individual. He is, he is saying, I want you to, to, make, to be to me personally allegiant. That's what Jesus is saying to these men. He is calling for personal allegiance to him as the ruler over their lives you see Jesus is looking for people to deny themselves to give up their personal desires Jesus wants us to abandon our plans and accept his listen to what Jesus says in Mark 8:34 and calling the crowd to him with his disciples he said to them if anyone would come after me meaning if anyone would be a christian meaning if anyone is going to be a Christ follower and calling to the crowd with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Abandon your plans is what Jesus is saying. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Friends, I I fear the shocking nature of this verse is lost on us. We've grown up here in in the the church culture south to where we drive down the road and we see a cross on a church building. We go to a church service where we talk about the cross. And so, as we read this, this call from Jesus to take up your cross, the shocking nature of it is lost on us. This is a torture device. This is where they killed people on this thing. They stripped them naked. They robbed them of their dignity and humanity and nailed them to wood and stuck it in the ground. This is grotesque and horrible. And Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, if you want to be a Christian, if you're signing your name on the dotted line here, you must take up your cross. Jesus is saying, give me total and complete control and authority. Now, here's the great news for us weak, lowly, broken sinners. Anybody weak, broken, lowly? You're in the right place. You're welcome here. You're in the right place. Here's the good news. As Jesus comes up and makes this authoritative demand on the disciples, he tells them, follow me. Simon and Andrew, follow me. What he doesn't say is, um, follow me if. Now, I've got some questions for you about the Old Testament. And if you can pass my theological exam, Simon and Andrew, then you can follow me. Simon and Andrew, uh, follow me as long as you can get it all together. As long as your life is put in order and you've got everything under control, your finances are great, your your relationships are top-notch, right? You never have bad breath or a bad hair day. If you've got it all together, Simon and Andrew, follow me. The good news, friends, is that there is no prerequisite. He doesn't place demands on them that they must reach some type of bar or some type of level. The command here is to follow me, period, paragraph. I don't care who you are. I don't care how messed up your past is. I don't care where you come from, where you grew up, how much money you got, or how much money you don't got. The call is to follow me. No prerequisites. That's the good news for us lowly sinners. While there are no prerequisites, there are expectations. So he doesn't say you have to pass my theological exam, you have to have it all together, you have to have great relationships, great finances, you gotta have all your stuff together before you can follow me, he just says follow me. Um, But once we follow him, there are expectations. The expectation is that we give up everything. It all belongs to Jesus. It means I am devoted to Jesus more than I'm devoted to my hobbies. It means I'm devoted to Jesus more than I'm devoted to money. It means I'm devoted to Jesus more than I'm devoted to my own personal comfort. It means I'm devoted to Jesus more than I'm devoted to my job. You have to understand what Jesus is calling them to is for total allegiance to him. He's calling them to be more for him than they are anything else. Listen, there's nothing inherently sinful about nets and boats. He's not calling them away from fishing because fishing is sinful, which I'm very grateful for. What he is calling them to is a life of devotion to him, to be more devoted to him than he is to anything else. And so for us here in the South, that means we're more devoted to Jesus than even to our own families. Wait a second. <laughs> yes, I understand that is the sacred cow of the south. We are called by Jesus to be more devoted to him than anything else. That includes everything, that includes our families. Listen to Matthew ten thirty four through 37. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword see, these are the type of things that a lot of times we don't like to say that Jesus said. <laughs> these are the uncomfortable sayings of Jesus, but they're here. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to on the earth. Uh, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves Father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Total devotion to Christ over everything else. That's the call. That's what Jesus is asking us for. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat and with the hired servants and followed him. He calls Simon, Peter, and Andrew. He then goes on a little bit further down the beach, and and he calls James and John. These two disciples, James and John, they were also brothers. Um, Their nickname that Jesus gave to them is a really cool nickname. Their nickname were the Sons of Thunder, right? I, I mean, if you want to call me that, that's cool. It's a cool nickname. So that's what they were called. Um, one time James and John were sent ahead to a town in Samaria to prepare uh, the way for Jesus to come in. And and they refused, the town refused to allow Jesus to come in. And so these two uh, sons of thunder uh, said to Jesus, hey, Jesus, should we call down fire from heaven to consume this whole town? Of course, Jesus rebuked them, but that lets you in on who they were. They were, um, again, aggressive, loud. These were hardworking, blue-collar, calluses on their hands, fishermen who were called to follow Jesus. We know that John was the closest disciple to Jesus. He is referred to as the disciple whom Jesus loved. We know that he penned a a gospel account bearing his name, the gospel of John. And and these these men um, were Jesus's disciples. And here, they are called in the same way as Peter and Andrew were called. And and what we know from Luke chapter five is that these four men actually were in business together. That this was the, the brothers' fishing business, and they are called to leave this successful business that they had put together. They are called to leave it all behind. The the word here in, look at verse 18 again. And immediately they left their nets, referring to Simon and Andrew. And and we see that James and and John do the same thing immediately. They they don't say bye to their relatives. They they don't go home and pack a lunch. They they do not pass go. They do not collect $200. They, They go straight to following Jesus. It is immediate response. You see, we must count the cost to say that Christianity and being a Christian is all giggles and hugs. It's all about financial blessing and health. Come to Jesus and everything will be fine. It's easy to be a Christian. That couldn't be further from the truth. Jesus says, I want the thing you value most, your very life. That's what Jesus wants. How can he ask such a thing? Because he has the authority to ask such a thing. Because Jesus is God. This is his universe. This is his world. We are living in it. He has the right to make such a demand on your life. He has the right to say, give it all to me. I want your very life. I gave you that life. It's my life. Your mama used to say that to you, didn't she? (laughs) Right? I I brought you into this world. I can take you out right? You heard that. she, Your mama was making a claim of authority. And how much more does Jesus have that claim? Yeah. What's astonishing about this account is that the disciples responded not because they were so spiritual. You, you could look at this and go, wow, what faith? What faith did the disciples have? I mean, I I'm not sure I could walk away from my business. I'm not sure I could walk away from my family, but they must have really been, I mean, really spiritual. Here's the problem with that. The whole rest of the gospel accounts where they don't believe, where they fail, where Jesus asks them to pray and they go to sleep. I mean, the, the the accounts are filled time and time again of the disciples not being very spiritual, not being very faithful. So listen, the disciples respond not because they are so spiritual or faithful. As a matter of fact, they show themselves to be the opposite, but they respond because of the authority and the power of Jesus. That's why they do it. Jesus said, do it, and they do it because he is the authority. He is the power. So if you're taking notes, jot this down. Only if Jesus is followed, can he truly be known. Only if Jesus is followed, can he be known. That's what he says to these disciples. Leave everything, drop everything. It's an authoritative call made by Jesus to follow him. And they follow him because Jesus knows that if he is going to be loved and served, he must be followed. It's the only way for him to be known by us If we followed him, the sad truth is that there are a lot of people who know a lot about Jesus, but have not accepted his authority. There are a lot of people who know a lot of facts about Jesus. Yes, yes, we know he is the, you know, the the guy in the Bible. He was a carpenter, you know, did his ministry, died on the cross, rose from the grave, You know, send it to heaven. Yes, I know all of those facts. They know a lot of facts about Jesus, but they have not surrendered authority over to Jesus. They might show up to church on a Sunday morning. They might say amen. They might clap their hands during a song, but when they walk out of those doors, they find themselves under their own authority and not under the authority of Jesus. This is the sad reality of the Christian South that we live in. We must understand that Jesus comes to be the king, not an interesting guy or a lucky rabbit's foot. This is the um, space that Jesus is often relegated to. Jesus, oh yeah, he's very interesting. Had some interesting things to say. You know, love thy neighbor, so on and so forth. Those things were nice. Turn the other cheek, very interesting. Jesus is a very interesting guy. Listen, Jesus does not come to be an interesting guy. Jesus is not a lucky rabbit's foot. Oh, Lord, we're struggling financially. Not going to make the bills this month. What are we going to do? I don't know. Let's pray. We've lived the entire month under our own authority, doing whatever we want to, but now we're in trouble. Get out the lucky rabbit's foot and pray in Jesus' name. And, and, And maybe magically in our bank account, $500 will appear. In Jesus' name, come on, help me, Lord Jesus. I've ignored you all month, but here I am praying to you now. Jesus did not come to be an interesting guy. Jesus did not come to be our lucky rabbit's foot to get us out of a pinch. He came to be king and ruler, the authority. Listen, don't let the language that we use get lost. We say, Lord Jesus. What does Lord Jesus mean? It means King Jesus. What do kings do? They rule over people. They tell people what to do and the subjects obey. So our job, obey. He, king, we, subjects. That's how this goes. Verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. Moments ago, we were on the beach, fishermen, that you could hear the seashore. You, you could hear the, the birds calling from the sky. There were nets, fishermen, men at work. And in moments later, here we are in a synagogue teaching. It moves fast. We find ourselves here um, on the Sabbath. This was their day of worship. They entered a synagogue. Now we know the main temple was in Jerusalem. Um, And so there was only one temple, but out from that temple in the surrounding communities, if the community was large enough and it had at least 10 Jewish men, um, that was enough for them to form a synagogue. It would essentially be a community center where uh, people would gather for worship, for teaching, for education. And so what would happen is they would all come together, but they didn't have like a lead pastor or a lead teacher like, like many churches do, like we do. Um, and so the, the teaching would kind of rotate around to the laity of the church. And so on this particular Sabbath, um, Jesus is called on to teach. And he entered the synagogue and was teaching. Okay, um, what was he teaching? I wanna know the sermon, don't you? I mean, Jesus is a pretty solid teacher, don't you think? Don't you want the, uh, the, the short notes here? Well, if you go on to verse 22, and they were astonished at his teaching. Mark, what teaching? What was he saying? We want to know. Well, what does Mark want us to see? Well, apparently not what Jesus was teaching. He is not concerned to give us the three points, the three main points in Jesus' sermon. That is not what he is concerned to give us. What does Mark want us to see? Mark is laser beam focused that you see the authority of the one who is teaching, not what he is teaching. He wants you to see the authority of the one who is teaching. Look at it again. And they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one who had Authority and not as the scribes. He doesn't care to tell you what the sermon was about. He wants you to see the power and the authority of the one who is teaching. And he was teaching in such a way that was not like the scribes. You see, the scribes were uh, a, a group of people who were very well respected. They knew their Bibles really well. Uh, they, the scribes were called on to mediate difficult situations that would happen in Jewish family life. And 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 legal disputes, these scribes were called in. They were very well respected. So if if a scribe walked into a room, everyone would stand up and and, you know to to give uh, you know uh, acknowledgement to to that scribe. So they would teach, but they would teach in this way. Here's what they would say: they would they would read a passage from the Old Testament, maybe something out of Isaiah, and then the scribe would say, well. You know, old rabbi so and so, here's what he used to say about this text and and uh, oh, oh, uh, Rabbi, what's his face? He also said this about this text and and so, uh, you know, there you go. So when Jesus comes in and Jesus says, "Here's the Word of God, here is what it says, and here is what you need to do with your life." They were. Shocked, They were taken back at the authority and the power that wasn't like the scribes, just kind of doing some guesswork up there going off of what other people had said. Here's Jesus preaching and teaching with authority. As Jesus taught, he is far from guessing. Jesus is not debating or speculating. He is authoritatively teaching God's word. This is what it has to say. This is what it means. And here is what you need to do. That's what was happening in that synagogue. The authority of Jesus was being put on display. Look at verse 23. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit and he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. There was a man with an unclean spirit. This term unclean spirit is synonymous with demon. He was a demon-possessed man there in the synagogue. Um, He asked this very important question to Jesus, um, have you come to destroy us? Uh, Apparently the authoritative teaching of Jesus was so powerful that this demon thought this is the end right? The, the kingdom of God is about to show up here and we're all in big, big trouble. Have you come to destroy us, right? Have you come to throw us in the lake of fire, Jesus? Because apparently this demon knows how it all ends. He's terrified. He, he says, have you come to destroy us? What Jesus turns and says to him is, is incredible. He tells him to be silent and come out of him. This demon acknowledges who Jesus is. We're gonna see this theme reoccurring in Mark's gospel to where unlikely people acknowledge who Jesus is to where the people who should acknowledge who Jesus is don't know who he is. So this demon acknowledges you are Jesus, son of Nazareth, okay, you are fully human. You're you're man come to, to preach to us today. And then he says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God, full deity in form, fully God, Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy One of God, fully man, fully God, the hypostatic union, there in living color, this demon sees and knows and recognizes who he is and is totally terrified. And Jesus says, be silent, come out of him. Uh, Jesus doesn't uh, pause and meditate for two hours. Jesus doesn't, you know, uh, conjure up some type of incantation. Jesus doesn't break a sweat. He doesn't pull a muscle. He says, be silent, come out of him. And that's exactly what the demon does because Jesus is in authority. Incredible, incredible scene that we see here in this synagogue on that day. The authority of Jesus put on display and they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding regions of Galilee. These people recognize a new teaching with authority. There was really no category for what Jesus was doing, how powerful his preaching was on that day. They don't know fully who he is or or what all this means, but they know that authority was put on display. Friends, the application of this reading where we see the authoritative call of Jesus to his disciples, where we see the authoritative preaching uh, in the synagogue, the, the simple application that we've all arrived to together is that we need to give Jesus ultimate authority over our lives. And so as I prayed for you this week and as I thought about what why don't we do that? I mean, who else in here struggles to do that? I mean, I know I do. As I, as I look back at my life, and even this week, even this week, struggling, fighting, going, Lord Jesus, I want to I give you full authority, but I'm scared. There's fear attached to giving Jesus full authority. There's Fear attached to saying, okay, whatever you say, I'll do. I mean, is that terrifying for anybody else? So why are we so afraid to give Jesus total authority? Well, because we're afraid that we will miss out on what we truly want. Oh man, if, if, if I give full authority over to Jesus, I might miss out on my happiness. If I give full authority over to Jesus, I might miss out on my joy. If, if I give full authority over to Jesus, I might not be comfortable. Um, if I give full authority over to Jesus, I might lose my reputation and what would people think about me? If, if I give authority over to Jesus, I might lose all of the things that I really want. But friends, the truth is, when Jesus has ultimate authority over my life, there I will find the deepest longings of my soul. So all of the things that I'm afraid of losing, I actually find in Christ when I give him full authority. That, that is a loud, resounding amen, and I got none, right? So all of the things that I am afraid of losing, I find in Christ when I give him full authority, That's the the good news. And so again, let's turn our focus back to, as we close, let's turn our focus back to this story and look at what Jesus does with his authority. Again, we're afraid to give it over to him because we don't know what will happen. So what does Jesus do with his authority? Well, number one, Jesus uses his authority to give us purpose. Listen, friends, This fishing business that these four men built along that sea doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't exist anymore. The brothers fishing business is out of business. It's gone away. It's not a thing anymore. But what about what these four disciples built in their ministry? Well, it's lasted forever. We're here talking about it today. These men go on to serve Jesus, to love Jesus, to help plant churches, to share the gospel. And that is eternal. That lasts forever. He took those disciples and with his authoritative call to walk away from everything, he gave them ultimate meaning and ultimate purpose. And that's what Jesus does with us, isn't it? As as he says, hey, come give it all to me. I want everything in your life. And once we give everything to him, there we find our true purpose. There we find our true meaning. There we find true hope. Just say, man, I'm a part of building something that's gonna last forever. It's not about bigger houses and bigger cars and building my own kingdom. I'm a part of building a kingdom that will last forever. Friends, that's real purpose. You want to wake up tomorrow excited about your day? You want to wake up tomorrow knowing that you've got real purpose, real reason for living tomorrow? Give full authority to Jesus and you'll have it. Also, what does Jesus do with his authority? Well, Jesus uses his authority to restore broken people. There's this man possessed He's possessed, he's taken over by a demon. I mean, this this guy is being controlled by an evil spirit. His life is no longer his own. He is totally broken. This is a broken man. And what does Jesus do? Well, he doesn't kill the guy, does he? No. Oh, this guy's got a demon, let's kill him. No, he casts the demon out and restores that man back to wholeness because this is what Jesus does. He uses his authoritative power to restore broken people. We could go around the room this morning and if we were honest with each other, reveal a hundred broken places in our souls. This happened in my past. This person said this about me. This family member abandoned me. All of those broken pieces, Jesus uses his authority to mend them, to restore them, to heal them. This is what Jesus does with his authority. He seeks to heal and restore. There's that broken, possessed man, and Jesus restores him. Are you broken and in need of being restored this morning? Give full authority over to Jesus. Give it all to Jesus. Do whatever he says. Let him rule over your life. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, King Jesus, ruler, mighty ruler, we give you authority this morning as you called them to be fishers of men. You call them to be a corporate body seeking to reach the lost. We here this morning want to give over authority to you so that we as a church can be fishers of men. We want to reach lost and broken people. We, we want to be... Honest that we are lost and broken people in need of you. We're simply beggars telling other people, other beggars, where to find bread. And so, Lord, we surrender control to you this morning. As a corporate body, we, we make this uh, proclamation that, that we give authority over to you. Lord, we, we know that, that there are hearts in this room that want to run, that, that are seeking to walk in their own authority. But, but Lord, we just call your spirit now here to do a mighty and powerful work in the hearts of these people that hearts would turn to you, Lord Jesus. Let hearts turn this morning. Let hearts turn now, Lord Jesus, to give you full, complete, and total authority over every area of life. We're asking for a miracle this morning, Lord. Do that now, Lord Jesus. Lord, we want to see that happen. We want to see a generation of people. We want to see a room full of people who say, I am not my own. I belong to him. My finances are not my own. My sexuality is not my own. My attitude is not my own. My mouth is not my own. I place it all under the authority of Christ. We, we want to see a room full of people, a generation of people rising up, raised up under your authority because we know there we will find every longing of our heart. So thank you, Lord Jesus, for being a God who brings purpose and restores because we need to be restored. Do a mighty work here now among us. We ask all these things in the power of the name of King Jesus who has authority.